Blog Talk Radio. We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again We are exploding, the world is gonna know it We rock it like you're never gonna see us again Come on over Come on over And a good evening to you everyone, it is 11pm and Pure Gold is live on the air for this Tuesday night, March 25th, 2014 Welcome once again to the show that covers everything and anything and tells it like it is. My name is Joe Buccino, and my tag team partner and co-host is David Gomez. Sir, how are you this evening? Doing fabulous as always. Excited to get another edition of Pure Gold underway. And folks, make sure you give us a call, 714-364-4721. Check out our website, puregoldpg.com. Or of course, you can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and all that other goodness, JB. Thanks, DG. So tonight on the program, we will, as we get closer and closer to WrestleMania 30, the biggest pay-per-view of the year, the grand day of them all, we will have our one and only Pyro Falcon joining us in a few minutes to talk about WrestleMania, talk about Raw, talk about anything and everything that's wrestling-related. And then later on the program, we will have a, a guest that's been on the show quite a few times, but now I believe, according to what Dave tells me, is a DJ and I'll just refer to her as DJ Morgan Woolard. Is is that good, sir? Is that the appropriate title for her? Yeah, of course. Uh, as uh, those of you know, that's Miss Oklahoma USA 2011, and she almost won. Sir, almost won Miss USA. She got hosed by another one of our guests, Rima Saki. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, she is uh, currently a DJ on a radio station, so of course we'll get into that with Morgan when she calls in the show later on this evening. Yep. Yeah, so before we bring on Pyro, sir, I I um I gotta admit uh, to uh, something that uh, I did this past weekend. My wife was in D.C. on a business trip, if you will, um, and um, I stooped to levels that um, even I didn't think I would stoop. I actually went to my old high school gymnasium, and believe it or not, sir, I went to watch a indie promotion known as Pro Wrestling Superstars. And, um, you know, that's not so bad, but I did take my five-year-old daughter with me. Uh, that's, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be You are a disgrace, but you should be. Uh, I mean, I don't know how your wife doesn't have uh, lawyers on you right now for ruining this, uh, this poor child's life. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, the only thing I must say is that the only reason why I took her to this event is because a week ago before that, um, I was at a steakhouse, and I saw this poster saying, you know, pro wrestling superstars showing up at, at Belleville. I was like, wow, I can't believe they actually have wrestling back at my old high school gymnasium. When I went there, we saw, I saw at least three to 400 people there packed uh, to watch this event. And um, the person that was there that not headlined the whole thing, but just the big name catcher was uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And I got to meet Hacksaw Jim Duggan. We talked for a couple minutes before the, the actual card began, and... Um, you know, I actually um, am not a big Hacksaw fan, but he did overcome cancer. I think he had uh, prostate cancer. And, um, you know, he was pretty good. He had the, the cheap pop, you know, his his 2 by 4 red Belva on it, so people gave him the cheap pop. So Hacksaw, Hacksaw Jim Duggan had his old music, 
And he actually was in a match that lasted about five minutes. Uh, it was old school versus new school. And um, I had a good time because at the end of the match, you know, he's like, you know, cut my music, and he wanted to thank all the men and women that served in the Army. And we just had a big USA chant fest, and, you know, that's what Sabrina enjoyed more than anything was uh, us chanting USA, USA throughout the night. Now, let me ask you, sir, uh, did he happen to hit your daughter with a 2 by 4 He was going to hit me with the 2 by 4 for bringing her, but um, he knew that um, she wasn't going to be able to get home if I was knocked up in the hospital. Good stuff, sir. Good stuff, sir. Did you enjoy it? She did. Um, it's uh, There was a lot more kids than I thought were, they were there. And believe it or not, sir, I mean, I've seen East Coast Pacific Wrestling. I've seen another promotion, I forget, where Mike, De, um, my friend Mike Jones was a part of. Um, I think it was National Wrestling Superstars. So press, Pro Wrestling Superstars is a pretty good promotion around this area, sir. I think the wrestlers themselves are pretty good. Um, I enjoyed the match. Uh, I enjoyed the matches. The the, um, the highlight of the night was the main event. Obviously, it was a ladder match, and um, they used the real ladder. It was pretty good. Um, so we had a good time. It was a three-hour event, ten bucks each. Um, you know, a weekend that was okay. But again, um, because I saw Hacksaw and I was going to get to meet him, and it was a meet and greet type thing. I thought it was pretty cool. And it's, you know, Hacksaw, I think he does a backstage pass for either Raw or SmackDown. It's one of those two shows. Good stuff there. Um, was there anybody else there that we may know? Um, no, but you always wonder like where the next superstar is going to come out from. I don't think I saw anybody that would say is the next, you know, Rock or Stone Cold or even Hulk Hogan. But again, an entertaining night at my old high school. I got to go see my old gymnasium that I haven't been in that school probably for about eighteen, nineteen years now. I don't remember the last time I was there, except after I graduated high school. So. Um, you know, that's my little wrestling story of the bit, and um, I think we should go right into, um, you know, since this is the low the low point of my um, career going to a pro wrestling event with my daughter, I think we should bring in somebody that, um, you know, could uh, at least enhance the program, if you will. Oh, wait, we don't have him, so let's just bring on Pyro Falcon instead. <laughs> Pyro, how are you this evening? I'm doing all right, guys. Good to hear that you had some fun at an indie event. I've never actually been to one yet. Are there any indie events by you, like any small promotions or anything? Um, I believe Ring of Honor operates a lot out of Dayton. Like, that's not where they're based out of, but they do tend to hang out in Dayton. Um, and I think there is an independent something or other also in Dayton, but I can't remember. Honestly, I'm one of those casual fans, ironically, who sort of just watches WWE and nothing else, for better or for worse. Probably for worse. You you really segue really nicely into the, my next, uh, my first question, I guess, because we haven't talked to you in a while. You mentioned Ring of Honor, you mentioned Dayton. We talk about, when I think of Ring of Honor, I think of CM Punk. Um, we got uh, another point of view last week about CM Punk. Just briefly, before we get into Monday Night Raw and WrestleMania as we get closer and closer, what are your thoughts on CM Punk? Do you think that it was the right move by him? Do you think that this is something that um, was planned, or do you think he's going to come back? What are your initial thoughts and final thoughts, actually, on CM Punk? Yeah, uh, we had talked about it the last time I was on the show. Um, I really think that... For him, he probably did the right thing. Financially, it didn't make a lot of sense, but Punk is probably sitting on, you know, well over a million dollars probably after all of his appearances. 
Uh, he's been burned out. He's been hurt. He didn't like the direction WWE's been going for the past couple years. So for him, um, I think it would make perfect sense. It's sort of like, uh, as I talked about last time, my day job, I work at Walmart, and I hate it. And I, I despise my job. I despise the place I work. And if I had the money, I would walk out, too. And, you know, it's not physically taxing. I don't have to travel 300 days a year just to go to Walmart. So, um, you know, I can understand where he'd be coming from if he's simply burned out and wants to move on. And he had that interview on a show, and I can't remember what the show is. You guys probably know. But he had an interview on on a show, and he was introduced as former professional wrestler Phil Brooks, also known as CM Punk. And during that interview, they didn't talk about wrestling, except he had made some sort of allusion where he said, um, uh, anyone who's been following me for a while can know that right now I feel like a new man. And it sounds like he was just ready to go, ready to move on. And, you know, if that's all it was, good for him. I, I really don't think it was planned. Yeah, I mean, it's safe to say that the Ring of Honor, I mean, that's where I think I heard his name first. I think Dave brought his name up to me when they, and he mentioned Ring of Honor at the time. Dave, do you remember when uh, CM Punk was probably really popular at Ring of Honor and then they brought him to WWE? We felt like he was misused, like the WWE always misuses their people, their talent, and then just, you know, obviously this created a, a character, a persona that was so lifelike that we, you know, that fourth wall thing and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. But I think uh, enough about CM Punk. Let's uh, okay. let's move on Sorry to something that. else. You've beaten this thing to death, sir. Yeah, you're right. I've been to death. But last night was Raw, sir. Uh, let's let's start with you, DG. Last night was Raw. We're about two weeks, less than two weeks away from from WrestleMania 30. Anything that you want to start off um, talking about in terms of WWE from last night? Yeah. Uh, one thing. I would like to talk about. Let, 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 let's uh, let's put it this way. I find it odd, and I'm going to start with the Hall of Fame. I find it very odd that the WWE is inducting the character of Razor Ramon. Uh, great character, great intercontinental champion, great talent in the company, but he really was only in the WWE for about four years, and, and then he left, and, you know, he never won the world title. Um, like I said, he had the intercontinental championship four times, which is good, but... Um, you know, he's a great ladder match with Shawn Michaels. But to me, I think it's ridiculous that they're inducting the character of Razor Ramon, no mention of Scott Hall, no mention of his real name, because what's, what's going to happen here, clearly, and the only possible reason that they would do this is because they're planning on inducting the NWO as a whole. So that means that Scott Hall is then going to be inducted with the NWO, and he'll be a two-time Hall of Fame inductee, just like Hogan, just like Trip, uh, Triple H, excuse me, just like... Uh, Rick Flair, and I don't think that I love Scott Hall. I think he's great, but if anybody's not worthy of being a two-time inductee into the Hall of Fame, and again, all right, Coco's in there. You know, we don't even we don't even have to go down that road. But if you're going to give it any legitimacy, of all the characters, of all the people, why would he be the guy to go in there two times? I mean, to me, that's ridiculous. Like I said, Hogan and Flair, I understand, but that's pretty much it, uh, Joe. So you know, let, let me throw it back to you, and then we'll get to Pyro. Well, you know what? I I completely agree with you because when I heard that when I saw when I saw when I saw Razor Ramon uh, being inducted to Hall of Fame, the first thing I thought was, well, the WWE owns WCW; they own all the libraries and everything. Like that why are you inducting Scott Hall, the wrestler himself, and why are you inducting a character like I, I wasn't thinking about Coco Beware or anything like that, but 
Um, you know, Razor Ramon was never a world heavyweight champion. He wasn't a WWF champion. He wasn't anything. The most he amounted to was an intercontinental champion and was a mid-carder. He never made it to that main event level status. So if you're inducting Razor Ramon, I disagree. If you're inducting Scott Hall, yes, I do agree. I know they're the same person, but to induct the character itself, I thought it was an unwise move. Uh, yeah. Pyro? Oh, sorry, Dave. Sorry. I'll get to power in a second, but that's, yeah. that's my problem. My problem is how are you going to induct the character? What's next? Diesel's going to go in, and then Kevin Nash is going to go in. I mean, exactly. And then they're going to induct, uh, you know, they already inducted Shawn Michaels, and they're going to induct uh, the Heartbreak Kid, <laughs> and they're going to induct Michael Higginbottom. Because to me, right. this is ridiculous. And again, I, I agree with you, Joe. If you took his whole career, absolutely, Hall of Famer, all-time great, Probably should have been world heavyweight champion, especially in WCW. But I guess you could say he's the best big man to never win the, the title. Um, he was about six seven, you know, huge guy. Clearly, um, even though he ran around with guys like Diesel, you know, who made him look small. But right. point being, this guy, as a whole, his career, yes. But as Razor Ramon, he the character doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Pyro, what do you think? Well, I was going to play devil's advocate, but you both kind of convinced me of your point. You're right. Um, the, only, the only counter-argument I had uh, that I could think of is that uh, Razor Ramon, in a vacuum, the one thing he did do was he, with Shawn Michaels, sort of uh, legitimized ladder matches. I mean, if you look at that ladder match um, from WrestleMania 10 and 11, uh, from today's perspective, it actually seems kind of tame. But at the time, it was awfully hardcore. It was really thrilling. It was, uh, you know, this amazing match that was breathtaking. And that was cool and all. But, you know, you're right. You convinced me. It, it is kind of silly to, to have a character um, inducted. And, you know, like you said, what are, what are they going to do about the characters? Who, or the Yeah, the characters who have changed personas a thousand times, like Kane or The Undertaker. You want to go through and induct Kane? from the Katie Vick era, and then Kane is corporate Kane era, and then Kane is the brother Kane era, and uh, where does it stop? Now, while we're talking about the Hall of Fame, let's talk about just uh, some other people in this class of 2014. Uh, me and Dave, when we found out the Ultimate Warrior was getting inducted, I mean, this I think the Ultimate Warrior fell so flat and so... Um, not, I don't think he was worthy of the Hall of Fame. We talked about him. I don't know if we talked about him with you, Power, but we said that he was World Heavyweight Champ, WWF Champion. He was supposed to pass the torch. Uh, he was supposed to get the torch from Hulk Hogan after he lost at the, um, you know, the Ultimate Challenge, WrestleMania Six. But he, here's another guy that just didn't really do it. Um, he, he didn't carry the, the title. He didn't carry the company as long as he should have. And here he is being inducted into to the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, um, the Ultimate Warrior is. Well, forgetting Razor Ramon, the character, uh, the Ultimate Warrior is the weakest choice of the class. It's the one, though, that I will play devil's advocate on. I think it's an okay choice, um, and not just relatively speaking with the whole Coco Beware deal, but he did, Ultimate Warrior did enough, like, at the time, because, again, it's one of those things that if you look at the Ultimate Warrior and what he did by today's perspective, yeah, I agree that he probably shouldn't be in. But at the time that he was active, I mean, he was this serious contender to the title. I mean, he won the title. He beat Hogan, which was unheard of, you know, beating Hogan at a WrestleMania for a title. Um, and his promos were nonsensical and possibly drug-induced, but they were still so intense and so ridiculous that 
a lot of fans really jumped on board with it. And I think if anything has hurt Ultimate Warrior's legacy, it's the fact that his real-life deal, he's completely gone off the deep end. And his return into the WWE, like, what, in the late 90s, was so stupid and short-lived and ridiculous that I think that tarnished it. But if you look at his career prior to that return, yeah, he didn't stay very long, but while he was there, he did capture a lot of fans' imagine, imaginations. He did hold uh, the Intercontinental and the World title at the same time. It just, to me, it, I think he does deserve it. He's a weak choice, but I think he barely makes the cut. Well, I think you know he is one of the greatest, uh, you know, one of the greatest personalities of all time. I got to give him that. But I definitely think that he was a weak choice, you know, in that sense. And I think that, you know, but again, he's going to be a headliner. I, I agree with Joe that he doesn't deserve to be in, but you know, there's so many guys who don't deserve to be in, so we could talk about that all night. Now, of course, you have somebody like Jake the Snake Roberts, who seemingly took forever to get inducted, and of course he had those drug problems. Maybe that's why they were avoiding him, but it just surprised me it took Jake the Snake this long to get inducted. Yeah, Hello. speaking of drug problems, I meant to mention that I have a feeling that's why Razor Ramon, not Scott Hall, was inducted. Because they probably don't want Scott Hall showing up and making a making an acceptance speech where he vomits all over the podium because he's drunk. I mean, Scott <laughs> Hall is mess. I'm, I I would honestly be a little surprised if Scott Hall himself is there to accept it, you know, or instead they just have a creative director standing there to accept the reward the award for making the character. That, well, that's I honestly. Know that with, I know that with Jake and Scott, they've both been dealing a lot with uh, DDP you know, and his yoga and everything, and he's he's kind of helped them get their lives straight. So there's some, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about that. Not so much recently, but now, of course, with everything going on uh, in terms of them being both inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, I mean, I'm sure that they'll somehow be there, but, you know, apparently the two of them are getting their lives straight, which, you know, hopefully they do, you know, for their own sake, not not so much for us as the fans. Yep. Um, so... The other two people, I guess, that are of noteworthy are Paul Bear, which I have no problem getting in. Unfortunately, he passed away, so he's getting inducted post-mortem. <laughs> and um, and Lita, who I have no problem with her being in the, you know, she's one of the top uh, wrestlers of all time, female wrestlers of all time. So I have no problem with those two getting in. Um, and I'm forgetting one person, I'm sure, old school. Oh, Carlos Colon is being inducted into the, uh, who is uh, Carlito's dad? And uh, Primo's dad, he's a famous Puerto Rican wrestler. Yep. So I mean, the class. Uh, I mean, if you if you ask me, the class is kind of weak um, from top to bottom. Um, Mr. T's in there as well. So you look at the class. We talk about the Hall of Fame, but then again, it's hard sometimes when you know you realize that it's a Hall of Fame of wrestling. I mean, pretty much anybody could be inducted if you make a good case. So um, let's just move on from the Hall of Fame because uh, I don't want to get into another. Yet another Coco Beware rant and uh, mentioned Drew Carey is in the Hall of Fame as well. So let's let's please get away from that. So last night Pyro was Monday Night Raw, like we said. Um, the one let's let's just talk about the matches that are being built up towards WrestleMania 30. I, I want to get your take on this. Um, they have this whole John Cena Bray Wyatt angle. We talked about it last week as well at nauseum. I'm I, I just cannot buy into this feud. I cannot. Um, I, it doesn't make sense to me, and to, maybe you could sell it to me, Pyro. But I feel like John Cena, win or lose this match at WrestleMania, his career will go on. If he loses the match, big deal. If he wins the match, 
uh, ho hum. So I, I don't know where they could go with this angle. To be honest with you, are you are you into this feud? Are you buying into it, or do you think this is just one of those like John Cena wins and moves on to you know get a title shot in a couple months? Yeah, I, I'm into it in so far as that the Wyatt family, especially Bray Wyatt, are cutting some absolutely killer promos. They're straddling that perfect line between super crazy creepy and nonsensical, which not too many people can pull off. It's pretty much the Wyatts and the Undertaker. Um, so they're great, I, and pretty much everything they're doing is gold. I didn't realize Bray Wyatt was as ring-capable as he is, but he's very good to watch. Uh, but that's as far as it goes for me. Otherwise, this is a standard John Cena story where he's, you know, even though he's got that look, he's the underdog, he's going to get the crap beaten out of him for a while, he's going to act scared, and then at the end he's going to turn it around and have this big comeback victory and everybody will be happy. Well, everyone under the age of 12 will be happy. Everyone over the age of 12 will be bored and waiting for the Daniel Bryan match. Um so yeah, I, I think I think it'll be over at WrestleMania, and no one is going to be, no one is really going to take any damage from it because you know Bray Wyatt is still low on the card, so this match will elevate him, and Cena's entire position is solidified, so it's not going to hurt him, you know. But it is it, to me, it's not worthy of a WrestleMania match, maybe a pay-per-view undercard, but not a WrestleMania match, you know. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum, of course, but I definitely agree that it's probably not worth it. But I do like, I do like, uh, like Pyro said, uh, Bray Wyatt is an amazing promo, and uh, I mean that that saves this feud from being a you know a disaster in my eyes. But you know, he's he's got talent. Obviously, WWE thinks highly of him, so they're putting him in a WrestleMania match with John Cena, which is interesting. Um, you know, of course, we'll have to we'll have to go from there. Joe, uh, what other uh, well, actually, you know what? Let me backtrack for a second. Something that I would like to talk about briefly. I know we have another guest coming up soon. Hopefully, Pyro can hang on, and then we'll we'll get back to wrestling because there's so much to discuss. I mean, last week we did a 90-minute show, an hour and 25 minutes of it was all wrestling. So I mean, it's just it's just wrestling, you know, overload. But Taker and Lesnar, and I know I'll have Pyro comment on this. I look at this feud and I think, yeah, whatever, not a big deal. Uh, yesterday, Taker, of course, was landed a few punches on Brock. I thought yesterday made Brock look bad. Um, no offense. He was scared. I guess the whole mind games, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, Brock didn't even get a punch in. Now, I'm afraid that this nothing else is going to happen until Mania. And then, of course, Taker's going to win. I think if you want to save some interest, you got to have the week of WrestleMania. Brock has got to destroy Taker, leave him, you know, knock him out, smack him around, do whatever he has to do, you know, get a little physical. Because otherwise, I don't see any selling point to this match. I get the streak, blah, blah, blah. You know, again, I, I can go on and on, but to me, this feud has been just kind of blah, and I think it's difficult when you have two part-timers there. Um, you know, and, and just, I know we're going to get to the Orton, Batista, and all that other crap, but, you know, this is where I give Dave Batista credit, and only in this area. He's been, he's come back, and yes, he's not back for the entire year, but he's been essentially a full-time wrestler. I mean, he's done house shows, a.k.a. live events. He's there every week. He's promoting. He talks. He wrestles. He does whatever. He's wrestling next week. So he's definitely been putting his, his effort, whereas guys like Taker and Lesnar are just kind of, you know, letting Paul Heyman do all the work. And, uh, Pyra, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. But to me, this is just – this feud just doesn't do it for me. And, you know, again, I didn't think yesterday did Lesnar any favors. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love The Undertaker. Um, I've said before on the show, I, I mark out at the streak. 
Um, I know I'm in the minority as far as the Internet restaurant community is concerned, but I don't care. You know, I'm not sick of the streak. I enjoy it. But that said, this is a weak matchup. I don't really care. But I mostly don't care about Lesnar. And I also don't care that there was, like, um, there was no story behind it. There was no reason for it. Just, you know, Lesnar comes out, goes, I don't want to wrestle except it. Or I don't want to wrestle at WrestleMania unless it's something huge. Undertaker comes out. They're like, oh, that's, this is good enough. You know, just, I don't know. Um, it, it's not worth it to me. Uh, I don't think the match is going to be anything great either, but I guess I can always hope against hope. I say that every year, and Undertaker always surprises me. And Lesnar is, of course, in shape, and he can, you know, he, he can do everything he needs to do. Um, but I do have to give Heyman credit because, Heyman has been um, – I mean, I agree with you that I think it's bad that they're making Heyman basically do all the work. But he has been one hell of a pro guy during this entire thing. I mean, he's been the one selling the match more than either of the competitors, which is kind of sad. I mean, Heyman's earning his paycheck. But you're right that I wish I had seen a little bit more from the other guys. Um, when they initially announced the, the match for a split second, I considered that maybe this would be the time that Undertaker loses. And after about 10 minutes of thinking about it, I'm like, no, of course not. Undertaker's going to win this, as he always does. Um, no one's going to, you know, it, it doesn't hurt Lesnar's legacy at all. It, it just doesn't matter. You know, Undertaker will come out, do his thing, win after 20 minutes, and extend to 22-0, and maybe, hopefully, that'll be the end of it. Uh, that would be kind of nice. Yeah, the the reason why I can't get into this feud pyro is because, um, like you said, and like Dave said, um, Paul Heyman has pretty much been carrying this whole this whole feud, and uh, you would think that between these two big guys, they'd be able to do a little bit more on TV and build that storyline a little bit more than just Paul Heyman. And where I disagree with you, and Dave and I disagree, is that I think everyone loves the streak except me and Dave. And the reason why I personally hate the streak now is because Undertaker is just wrestling one time a year. He's gotten to the point where he's so old, he's so hurt and banged up that he's only wrestling one time a year that the streak to me is is a joke at this point because, let's face it, it looks like he's going to go undefeated at WrestleMania. And what was the, what's the point of that? I think they need to find somebody but before next year um, for the next WrestleMania when he officially retires, I guess, in Texas, they need to find somebody that they want to pass that torch to. I think Undertaker needs to lose that last match. And I know that a lot of people would be like, what the hell are you talking about? But if the guy goes undefeated, what, what's the point of Undertaker going undefeated? Is he bigger than WrestleMania? We've talked about this ad nauseum, too. People like Shawn Michaels, people like Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold, everybody, The Rock, nobody goes undefeated at WrestleMania. This guy's 21-0 and 22-0, going to be 22-0. I think to be honest, you that that's a total travesty of uh, justice. We need somebody that will lose, will beat the Undertaker, and then be able to carry that torch for the next ten, fifteen years. Yeah, yeah and um, the, the the problem I have with uh, the whole streak ending is that like you can't just give the win to someone who, like Brock, is not going to be there long. I mean Brock has been wrestling more than Taker, but like you said, Brock is still a part-time wrestler. And even if Brock wins, I mean, that doesn't get him anything. It's not like he's going to use that to carry his career further. He's done everything he needs to do. If the Taker streak gets snapped, it's got to be to a wrestler who already had some credibility but is also young enough that he can go for another decade or more 
budget's also got to be someone that they can bet on who's going to be there that long. Like, um, okay, like, I, I know I'm kind of going back in the past, but if you remember, uh, Muhammad Hassan was a young guy. Um, he he was pretty good in the ring. He was actually very good in the ring. And uh, he had a great character at the time. WWE put a lot of faith in him. Uh, yeah. You know, made really risky gimmick, the Muslim American gimmick. But he wound up essentially quitting after WWE wrote a stupid angle, and the dude left wrestling when he was, what, 27, maybe even younger than that? So it's like if you have a young guy who's in his mid-20s who beats The Undertaker and snaps the streak, it'll help him. But if that guy decides that he doesn't want to wrestle anymore or if he gets hurt or if he gets saddled with a bad creative decision – you can take all of that momentum away in an instant, and then you've thrown the streak away for no reason. That's why I think um, either they've got to, they've got to, they've kind of written themselves into a corner. There's no good solution because if it does get snapped, you're gambling that whoever beats him is going to be around for 10, 15 years and carry the company. And I just don't know if well, that can happen. That's a good point, Pyro. The only problem is that, and, and this is something that one of our uh, old buddies, Pat, who was on the show last week, mentioned to us. When Taker retires, let's say, hypothetically speaking, he beats Lesnar, that's it, he's done. Career's over, he retires. What, what, is, what is the streak? If Undertaker is no longer around to sell the streak, what if not something for the past, something for them to sell a DVD on? But next year's WrestleMania, they, if Taker's not there, they can't really mention it. Five years from now, they're not going to be mentioning the streak. Ten years from now, they're not going to be mentioning the streak. So the, the streak ultimately is becomes useless when Undertaker retires, which, you know, again, my wife, who's a who's casual, very casual, you know, fan of his, even she was like, man, he looks terrible. And when you look at him, he does look bad. And, and again, I'm not trying to knock the Undertaker. Guys have an amazing career, you know, great gimmick, et cetera, et cetera. Although I think people give him too much credit because there were some, some really bad years in his career. There were the, the biker years, and there were some years in the 90s where, you know, he just was, was a joke. But uh, aside from that, again, great gimmick, great, you know, wrestler, superstar, whatever the hell you want to call it. But at the end of the day, when he retires the streak, it becomes null and void. Nobody's ever going to talk about it again other than in interviews and other than if Taker makes an occasional appearance. But if somebody breaks the streak, then there's something to talk about. Wow, this guy broke the streak. This guy broke the streak. I mean, how Andre the Giant had a legitimate 15-year run never having lost a match, not just once a year at WrestleMania. Taker's lost a million times at every other pay-per-view. I, I bet you if you look up Undertaker's all-time pay-per-view record or, you know, main event record, it's probably a terrible one. You know, it's just like Shawn Michaels has a terrible record at WrestleMania, even though he's remissed at WrestleMania. But the point is, you know, when you look at Andre the Giant, Andre allowed Hogan to beat him to pass the torch, quote-unquote, which, of course, Hogan took the unprecedented heights. If you don't take the risk on somebody, the streak is going to be a non-factor, and it's just going to be, wow, that's great. Take one undefeated at WrestleMania. I mean, but who cares at that point, you know? You know, Pyro? Yeah, I agree with you. The only the only thing I could foresee it being, if The Undertaker does retire with a streak intact, it'll be a footnote or a resume item, however you want to call it, and when The Undertaker inevitably gets into the Hall of Fame, it'll be touted as one of his biggest accomplishments, and It'll be listed alongside the bullet points of X-time number world wrestler and X-time number intercontinental champion and undefeated at WrestleMania, and then that'll be it. Um, you're right that it won't have a lot of value for the company, 
But if he does retire with it intact, I mean, just having it as a bullet point to the career is nice. Um, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't add anything. But you know. I mean, but that's the thing is, is the streak pretty much loses value at that point. And look, let me put it this way: if Edge gets inducted like the year he retires, and the, the night after Undertaker retires, they should just put him in the Hall of Fame, even if it's not WrestleMania season. They need to just put him in the Hall of Fame. But Pyro, we're gonna we're gonna need you to take a you know take a few, take a breather. We'll get back to you. So, so please hang on. Um, we need to take a break here and then get to our other guests. So uh, you know, hopefully, sir, you'll be able to hang on so we can talk some more. Absolutely, I'll be hanging around. Awesome, thank you, sir. And we are going to take a break. We will be right back. And as a matter of fact, it's going to be extremely brief. We are going to be right back after this promo. Hi, this is Morgan Willard, Miss Oklahoma USA 2010. Make sure to check out Pure Gold every week at puregoldpg.com. Dave and Joe always bring the best in entertaining talk radio and great guests like me. Speaking of great guests, speaking of one of our all-time favorite guests ever on this show, Morgan, I apologize because I actually got the year wrong. It's late. Forgive me. It's almost midnight. I said 2011, but 2010, as you just corrected me. Miss Oklahoma, USA 2010, Morgan Woolard, and currently a radio DJ. Miss Woolard, how are you doing this evening? Hi, I'm doing fantastic. It's great to hear from you. It's been too long. Yeah, it's, no, it's definitely been too long. And Morgan, I mean, you know, I like to keep in touch with all the people who've been on the show. Well, not that many people. You're one of the few. But, you know, I always like to email, check up, text, you know, tweet, carrier pigeon, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I reached out to you a couple weeks ago just to kind of see how things were going. And you are doing something quite interesting. I already mentioned it, but please give us the dirt. What happened? I mean, was it was it being on this show that inspired you to say, you know what, I want to do something similar to that? And now you're a DJ. Tell us all about that. <laughs> well, um, long story short, I am graduating with a mass communications degree and an emphasis in sports media in May, and we have a class where we essentially have to do an internship with the school, and our school radio station is one of the best stations in our metro area. Um, so basically, you either have to intern for the TV station or the radio station. Um, most pageant girls tend to do the TV station <laughs> because they like to be on camera, let's be honest. Um, but I chose radio, and it has been so challenging. You know, I I remember the very first day being so nervous and thinking, holy cow, I cannot believe I'm going to be on live radio. People are actually listening to me. This is crazy. Um, and my voice was a little shaky. And, you know, I had so many buttons to memorize and, and all of these responsibilities. But now it's like second nature. And it's actually something I really enjoy. And I'm so proud of myself for pursuing it and taking the challenge and, um, just adding something to my skill set. Uh, it's pretty cool to be a morning DJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can only imagine. First of all, uh, let's sidetrack a second. You do have live radio experience with people listening to you. And again, that has been, you know, the several times <laughs> you've already been on this program. So let's get that straight. And second of all, I can I can totally understand why the you know pageant girl would want to be on TV versus being on the radio. But see, you you need to do both. I mean, there's people here 
uh, in the local New York area, huge sports star, uh, not sports stars, but sports talk radio stars. I mean, people that I wouldn't want to look at, just, just old, you know, overweight, middle-aged men talking about sports, and they have TV stations, uh, TV programs, and of course I'm talking about Joe's uh, icon, Mike Francesa, but I've never understood why anybody would want to look at somebody, especially, uh, again, overweight dude talking about sports, but then when you have a, a, a essentially a supermodel or supermodel, you know, someone such as yourself who's, you know, beautiful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, almost won Miss USA, uh, you know, we talked about that a million times, <laughs> you, need, you need to somehow get, you know, you need to be on both. People need to be seeing you while you're doing this, and you need to be on TV, and you need to be on radio, Morgan. So, you know, uh, you need to get on the ball there. <laughs> well, to, to address the first thing you said about being used to being on radio, yes and no, it's a little bit different in this situation because um, we don't have things scripted for us like a lot of broadcasters read, you know, a teleprompter. I have to come into the station early and I have to put together my own news, my own weather, my own, you know, local headlines and sports. And so there's a lot of prep work that, that you have to do in advance. Um, so in that sense, it is a little bit more difficult. Um, and then as far as being on TV or being on radio, you know, this internship has been phenomenal. I'm so glad I did this. And it has really blessed me um, tremendously, and it's it's created a lot of discipline in me too because it's the morning show. So to have to get up that early every day um, takes a lot of um, self discipline. And then thirdly, addressing being on television, you know, I think for me that's something I pursued, and originally I thought that was what I wanted to do with my life. But at this point, it's not. And and even though something could maybe look good on paper or perhaps parallel with with your gifts, I think at the end of the day you have to be sensitive to your heart and you have to pursue what makes that come alive. And that's what's going to bring you joy every day and that's what's going to leave you fulfilled and with, you know, living with purpose and significance is doing what you love. And so... That is what I plan to do. <laughs> now, now, Morgan, honestly, this is why me and Dave still do our talk show, albeit like uh, from out of our homes. We still love doing it, and we, you know, we love doing it at the radio station. We did it at CSB for a while. My question to you is: when you do your shows um, in the morning, how much prep work goes into that? Well, first off, I'm commending you guys for doing what you love. I think that's so awesome, um, and best of luck as you continue to pursue it. And to answer your question, um, it, it varies. You know, since it's the morning shift, things are brand new from, you know, the, late that night. There could have been things going down in the city. And you want to stay as local as possible, but I also do statewide news as well. And so there's, um, you know, Associated Press and all kinds of, like, official documentation with news desk and that kind of thing. Because you also, also have to be very careful that you don't copyright. You know, I can't read the St. Louis Post-Dispatch or something like that. So, um, yeah, I would say I, I'd probably go into the station about half an hour early to, to press those because they're, they're only like 30-second or a minute spots each, but you definitely want to make them concise and, and you want to make sure you get the good stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Me and Dave do no prep work. I think we don't talk to each other at all, all week. And then we just do a show once a night, uh, once a week on a Tuesday or Monday night. So uh, that, that's what works for us. And whatever works for you is just as good, Morgan, honestly. But Dave also mentioned that you um, you play certain types of music. What, what kind of music are you basically playing uh, out there for your on your radio station? Well, the difference is I have someone that's going to come in and yell at me if I do something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have free reign. <laughs> True. Um, yes. So the the music we play it's an alternative station and so um essentially we've got different colored um songs in our playlist and so things that we have to play, you know, whether there's money in it, um, those will be a certain color and then really popular classic songs that will be a certain color and then if we need fillers that's a certain um, one and so you just kind of have to play by ear, but overall it's alternative music. Okay. You know, um, this thing, uh, sorry, Joe, i got to cut you off here. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, Morgan, you mentioned that, uh, you know, we're doing this no prep work, but the fact of the matter is that uh, before when we were on our, we, you know, of course Morgan knows this and our listening audience knows, we were on a radio station, a local radio station here in Newark, um, and we did a lot of prep work, as a matter of fact, and we would spend hours talking to each other on, on the net, you know, where we were supposed to be working, you know, getting paid instead of doing our jobs. We're sitting here talking about pure gold. Um, but, you know, every every person we've talked to, and, you know, Morgan probably does more prep work than the other guests, but, you know, Jerry Recco, these guys from WFA, and, yeah, they don't do any prep work. They walk in there, they do their show. Same thing with Moose and all these other guys. That's pretty much it. Now, Morgan, you mentioned that this is a passion of yours, and, I mean, that's great. I, I mean, I, I would love to hear you on the radio. I mean, is, is two questions. A, is there a website where I can listen to it? And B, um, you know, in terms of in terms of what you're doing, do you talk at all? Do you introduce the songs or are you just playing music? Um, that, those were a lot of questions. First off, <laughs> I actually talk a lot because it's, the morning shift, and if you're ever driving to work in the morning, the radio stations tend to talk more than any other time of the day, and so that is my responsibility. Um, Got to fill the people in on what's going on in the world. Um, so yes, there's that, and then also, of course, one of the biggest things that we get emails wise is what song was this and what song was that, and so I do need to make sure to do a lot of legal IDs so people know who they're listening to, and then also name the artist and the, the song as well, periodically. And um, what were your other two questions? My question was, <laughs> my question was, uh, is there a website <laughs> where we can listen to Oh, you? that's right. Yeah, um, yes, there is. I do not know it by heart, unfortunately, but I could tell you the name of the station. And, All right, you're fired. Uh, you're fired. We can look it up. It. No, listen, it, we, we it, call it. your manager. We need to call your manager. Yeah, you need to get fired because <laughs> <laughs> what's the name of the it station? Is, um, the station's called eighty nine one The Wood, the Smart Mix. Smart Mix. Okay, okay. Uh, that, that, that's a good <laughs> and that's a it's good called one. The Wood because my school is called Linden Wood University. <laughs> Just to clear that up, and. Okay. Um, I do actually remember you mentioning in the beginning, you, I think you misunderstood. I didn't say that radio was my passion. Um, 
it's something that I've enjoyed, and it's been really challenging, and actually created a lot of positive character traits in me, like discipline, but I can't see myself doing this for a career. Oh, okay, so what, what could you see yourself doing? I definitely misunderstood what you said. Well, I actually, my dream job would be to be a speaker and an author and be in ministry of some facet, whether that's nonprofit or working with young women or something of that nature, working within schools. Um, I'm actually looking into going to England this um, September and working in schools there for a year, maybe two years. Okay. Wow. That's definitely some some interesting stuff. I mean, you got a lot of different things going on, Morgan, and you know we definitely appreciate you taking some time out. But I have a question. This is off topic. This is off the beaten path. And I have a guest that I'm going to be talking to in a couple of weeks. I'm going to line that up. But I'm curious about something that you mentioned about doing ministry, of course. And uh, there's so many different ways that you can go with ministry, whether it's preaching or teaching or evangelizing or whatever the case is. But one area of ministry that's always fascinated and baffled me is movies. And we've had people on the show, like Anna Zelensky and some other people from, you know, who've done Christian films. And, you know, if you're a Christian, you should support Christian films, et cetera, et cetera. But let me ask you this. I mean, you're, you know, you're a woman of faith, uh, and I'm sure you've seen Christian movies, whether it's uh, Fireproof or, you know, whatever. My, my thing, my, my, I guess my issue and I'm curious to get your take as another believer because Joe is pretty much, you know, you need to pray for Joe. He clearly needs, you know, Jesus in his life. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a sick man. <laughs> pray for me, Morgan. Joe needs you more than the rest of us. Um, when I watch Christian films, when I've seen Christian films, you know, and uh, again, to support them, et cetera, et cetera, one thing I've noticed, and I, I have Netflix, so there's a ton of movies on there, um, there's always some sort of, like, horrible tragedy that happens in these films where, like, encourages the, the, the you know, the, the main character's daughter gets killed. Um, you know, I was watching a movie recently where the, the wife, who was actually the lead actress in Fireproof, she dies, you know, in a, some accident in another country and all these different things. Now, I've, I've often wondered, I get, you know, Jesus, the sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera, he has to die. But what is it about Christian films and what is it about these movies that, makes the producers think, well, we have to murder somebody or else, like, there's no point to this film and nobody's going to be inspired. Why can't people be inspired with people living? Why does it have to be some horrible, painful death? And I guess I would just like you to chime in on that. Sure. Um, well, the first thing that came to my mind was um, in Psalms it says that God draws near to the brokenhearted and um, saves those with a contrite spirit. And then in First Corinthians it says God comforts us so that we can comfort others. And I think that's a huge essential part of the faith. Um, is for, for me, I know the times that I was closest to the Lord or felt his presence, um, the strongest was in my darkest times and when I, I was in desperate need of him to come through for, for healing or comfort or um, whatever it was in my life that I needed him for, it was when I was broken and hurting that um, he restored me. And so I think that's a ginormous part of what the body of Christ is. You know, we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we're called to to love and serve and give and do as he did. And so um, perfect opportunities to do that is when people are in need and when people need – 
you know, if you can do something to um, be there for them. And I think that is possibly um, one of the reasons is, or maybe also just highlighting the fact that we live in a broken world and there's a lot of hurting people. And if, if you see people walking around like life is perfect, they're probably lying because nobody's life is perfect and everybody has pain and everybody has wounds. And so um, I think that vulnerability is beautiful, and I think highlighting tragedy, um, but then also highlighting even more so how God can turn something broken into something beautiful is the entire essence of the gospel, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. And I think, Morgan, with that said, you are now our number one guest of all time, and you have definitely <laughs> saved pure gold, and you have saved Dave's soul in general, uh, in specific. So uh, I want to definitely thank you for all of that oh, stuff. You know, that, was, that was always over the top. I told, listen, Morgan, believe me, I completely understand what you're saying. I, I mean, I totally get it. You know, I mean, I, I was a youth minister for several years, and, and, I, and I get that. I guess my thing is, you know, once in a while, I want to see a Christian movie that is funny, or I want to see a Christian movie where something good yeah, happens. Yeah, I get that. And no, nobody needs to get murdered, and nobody needs to die. I want to see a Christian movie that makes me laugh and not, you know, make me just weep uncontrollably. And, you know, especially with my wife, like, when we watch these movies, they literally, like, bum her out, and she's like, you know, I, I see this on the news. I don't want to have to see this in Christian films. But, <laughs> like, but don't yeah. they always end well, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't end do. sad, do you? <laughs> That's the important you know, thing. There's always I, I hope them. in the end. <laughs> I was watching one the other day, and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, just, just, you know sad. <laughs> I completely get your point. But I think also tragedy shows us our, our need for God. It deepens our awareness, too. And um, I think I think that would be another reason why they do it as well, because you know, if life is perfect and everybody's happy, then people don't even see their need for God. Um, it's when yeah. something wrecks our world that we realize, especially, that that we need something greater. And um, so, yeah, I mean, even my friends who don't believe, you know, if they're going through something hard, they ask me to pray for them, whether they believe in God or not. Yeah. There's yeah. something within us that longs for that um, when we're hurting. Whether we will admit that or not, I believe, no, I believe I, that to be true. I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you, and I've always found that fascinating, um, you know, that point. Listen, Morgan, honestly, can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show. It, it's always no a pleasure. No problem. It you know, having pleasure. you on, hope, hopefully, you know, you'll get rich and famous uh, somewhere along the line, <laughs> and, you know, you could have us on your show at some point. Um, you know, it's always, it, it's always great talking to you. And just so you know, my goal is to make funny Christian films at some point in my life. So I'll make sure to give you a call and see if you want to if you want to appear in some of them because you know again I love I love the obviously the message in the gospel totally I love it but sometimes I just want to laugh and you know that that's not happening with a lot of these. Hey, people. God has a so, sense of humor. There's a lot does. of joy somebody and freedom in the faith as well. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. But somebody, I'm hoping somebody will show that. But again, Morgan, thank you so much. Uh, you are so welcome. You, you know, Thanks for having well, me on. Well wishes in your. Your radio thank career. You. Again, thank you. Know, thank you, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. You guys have a fantastic night and a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you very much. Uh, again, folks, that was Miss Oklahoma USA 2010. 
pastor and evangelist in the future there, uh, Morgan Woolard, who is a great guest as always. So it's nice having her on. Joe, I mean, I, I know that you tend to watch, uh, you know, movies like The Wrestler that are super depressing, but uh, do you get my point as far as, uh, as far as the comedy aspect of it? I mean, of course, and I know Morgan did too, and she went on this, this, this basically uh, sermon, you know, explaining it, which is great for our listeners out there who don't know about the Lord or, you know, who are religion may not be their number one priority. Um, you know, and I, I totally understand that. I just, like I said, sometimes I just want to laugh, and, and I wish that there would be some comedies out there for, you know, people of the faith, as it were. I just I just think people that make Christian movies just have a purpose, a higher purpose, than just to make people laugh. I understand that, um, you know, you want to laugh at a Christian movie, but I, I just think that people do Christian movies for a higher purpose. They want to follow and uh, teach people a lesson, and oh, albeit... You know, albeit death is not the best topic, but um, it does teach you. It does give you a lot more lessons than just humor, if you will. Well, <laughs> of course it gives you more lessons than humor, but you know what? If, you know, if you believe in God, God's got to have a sense of humor. You know, again, he's made some hilarious people, so there's got to be something more to it than that. Folks, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to get back to Pyro, because there's really no proper way to segue from what we were just talking about to go back into talking about wrestling. So uh, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back right after this, folks. Make sure you, you stay tuned here. I just got to find the promos here. I mean, you know, we need to get some of our people. Well, here's an actress who's probably going to be coming on our show recently who also, you know, who was actually a star of some Christian films. So uh, we'll be right back after this. My Jen Lily. What's up, guys? This is actress Jen Lilly telling you to tune in to Pure Gold Radio. Pure Gold brings you amazing guests, awesome interviews, and great talk radio every week. Check them out at puregoldpg.com. Now, Jen is definitely right. We absolutely do some of the best talk radio around. As a matter of fact, you know, here's another one of our, uh, here's another one of our favorites. Hi, guys. I'm actress Laura Jean Salerno, and you're listening to David and Joe on puregoldpg.com. So relax, put your feet up, and listen in. I mean, not on the table, because that's just gross. Absolutely. Speaking of gross, we're going to go back to talking about wrestling, one of the worst low-level forms of entertainment there possibly could be. And we're joined once again by the incomparable Pyro Falcon. Sir, um, we were talking about everything going on as far as WrestleMania. I've got to jump in on this, and I've got to get your take. The Shield has been uh, you know, a big group in the WWE for quite a while. My favorite, of course, is Seth Rollins who I think the match yesterday proved that he, the crowd can get behind him with his semi-high flying. You know, he can, he can definitely be a good face, I think. Uh, I think Dean Ambrose is more suited to be a heel. And, of course, Roman Reigns is going to get pushed to the moon, which, you know, I don't really understand that, but that's besides the point. But they're getting shoved into a, a six-man match with Kane and the New Age Outlaws. Where the hell did this come from? What's the point of it? I know you got to get some of these guys on. But, man, I mean, talk about throwing together, Pyro. Just chime in on that. Well, first of all, you were right. It's very difficult to segue from the previous conversation to this one, but uh, I guess I'll do my best. Um, you're right that it was thrown in, thrown in at the last moment. Seems a little random. Um, I had heard that one of the rumored cards of WrestleMania prior to Royal Rumble was they were going to split the shield up by now and have uh, Reigns and Rollins versus uh, Ambrose and somebody, or maybe Reigns was going to break off on his own anyway. Um, I think this would be an interesting match if they were planning on breaking them up now. Like, if they had been 
um, feeding this tension between the Shield and that there was a possibility of a breakup at WrestleMania, I think the match would be intriguing. Um, but as it is, I, I don't know. They, they probably just needed to give Kane something to do. And But really, I'm not going to complain about seeing the New Age Outlaws again. Obviously, they're friends of your show. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. It, it's a little random, but for an undercard match, you can't really ask for anything more. It would have been nice if they had been in an actual storyline. And, I mean, they kind of are, but, I mean, if they had been in an actual long-burning feud rather than just being sick of Kane's crap and turning on him just a couple weeks ago. So, I don't know. It'll be entertaining. I just think it'll be mostly forgettable unless they do use it as a catalyst to have somebody turn. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Dean Ambrose to turn full-on heel and join Kane or something, and then the shield is down to two guys or something like that. It'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, you're right, Pyro. I mean, uh, turning the shield face to me was the wrong move. They should have just split him up at that point when they were about to. They were leading that way, and all of a sudden they just, like, did a complete 180 and made him face. So um, the the match, you're right, is going to be forgettable unless something happens where somebody turns on somebody from the shield. Um, just let's let's wrap up uh, talking about just the main event um, of WrestleMania, which leads before I even get to that. What I don't understand about wrestling is, and I think we've talked about this at nauseum too, but I just want to get your take is that they had this great you know four way dance last night to determine the, the number one contender for the Intercontinental title. And yet, the Intercontinental title and the U.S. title, as of right now at least, with two weeks to go to WrestleMania, are not being defended at WrestleMania. Yet, they're defended on, I guess it was defended uh, tonight on the main event. Um, so, your thoughts on those two titles, what is the point, if I could find that clip, I'd play it, Pyro. But those two, those two titles need to be defended on WrestleMania, the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Do you agree or disagree? Wait, is agree. What is the point? There you go. I agree with people, but I'll tell you this. I didn't even realize there was a number one contenders match. Um, as you may know, I don't have cable anymore, so I wind up watching the Hulu broadcast of Raw, and the Hulu broadcast is a cut version. Some matches don't make the cut, and apparently the number one contendership match didn't make the cut because I had no idea it happened. It happened that was a last great night. match last night. That was wow. a great match last night. <laughs> great. Hey, did you ahead, know, uh, Christian, Christian won the match viral. But apparently, I don't know if it's the storyline or not, but he had a slight concussion. He was removed, and Dolph Ziggler, who's the man that he pinned, actually ended up uh, taking the title shot, and I'm pretty sure he lost to Biggie. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, Pyro, chime in on the match you didn't watch. Um, yay? It was great. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you know, that's a good that's a good example or indication of what WWE thinks of the Intercontinental title match because they're not going to have a number one contendership that gets aired on the Hulu version. Because instead, I did watch the Divas match, which lasted all of 30 seconds. So, you know, I don't know why they didn't include the Intercontinental contendership match, whatever. But, um, I don't know. At this point, I think the Intercontinental title doesn't mean much, and neither does the U.S. title. Um, I would be in favor of getting rid of one of them, even combining them or whatever, and then it'll actually mean something again, but you know, I don't know. It's I, I can't care about something the WWE doesn't even care enough to show on Hulu, so Yeah, so let's let's yeah, with since we're like strapped for time here, let's just get right to the main event, talk about the fact that um, it was like put together, kind of forced together I guess because it was CM Punk's storyline, but they put Daniel Bryan in there 
facing now um, eventually gets a match in WrestleMania facing Triple H. They kind of forced that storyline down our throat. They did a good job selling it last week uh, with Triple H just going nuts on Daniel Bryan, handcuffed and ending, quote-unquote, the yes movement. He's in, the, he's in a match at WrestleMania, and then if he wins, or whoever wins that match between Daniel Bryan and Triple H, will then go on to face um, Batista and Randy Orton in the main event for the World Heavyweight title. So let me let me ask you this first, Pyro. Do you believe that Daniel Bryan has any shot to beat Triple H uh, in the one-on-one match at WrestleMania first? Um, in the sense that do I think Daniel Bryan will be in the main event? Yes, I do. I think they uh, put everything in this. Uh, the way they build everything, Daniel Bryan has had no chance against Triple H. Triple H has always come out on top. So it's a classic story. I mean, the good guy gets, just gets the crap beaten out of him week, to, week after week. But once he finally gets the shot, he'll succeed. I do think Bryan will be in the main event. However... I don't know if he'll actually be Triple H. And the reason I'm saying that, we know the WWE likes to swerve, and given that Triple H has been so adamant about wanting to be in this title match on screen, um, I've wondered if what's going to happen is the Daniel Bryan-Triple H match will go on early, and it'll be like two minutes long, and it's going to result in a double finish or a double DQ or a double countout or a double pin or something. And rather than having a triple threat match, we're going to have a fatal four-way match as the main event. I think that'll be pretty cool if it happens, because then you'll have an additional layer of storytelling where Brian and Triple H will have issues with everybody else who's in the ring. You can play with the matchups, and you can make the pace of a fatal four-way a lot faster than um, a triple threat or a one-on-one. And it's great because the more guys you have in the ring, the better you can hide flaws. And as we all know, we need to hide Randy Orton's flaws as much as possible because, good God, does he have a lot of flaws. So if you stick all four guys involved in the match, I think it will be really cool. So I'm hoping that Brian and Triple H just tie, and then we have a fatal four-way as the main event. Interesting take on that. Dave, did you uh, ever consider a fatal four-way for the main event in WrestleMania? No, actually I didn't, and uh, I think that's a really, really good idea. That's some good booking there because I think that would actually be more interesting than whatever route they decide to go. Because, you know, Pyro, my thought was that <laughs> my thought is that there's definitely a possibility because, I mean, we talk about fans going home happy. We talk about making fans happy. I know last year watching WrestleMania literally in Joe's backyard, we were thinking there's no way that Cena's going to win because you want, the, you want the fans to go home happy. Of course, Cena won. The fans, you know, booed him out of the building. But here we are a year later talking about WrestleMania 30. I could totally see, and not being facetious whatsoever, I could totally see Triple H winning against Daniel Bryan and then going on and winning the title because that's the type of thing that Triple H does. Um, but ideally, I think, they're, you know, Bryan will win both matches. And, of course, he'll be the first guy if I'm not mistaken, ever to win two matches on the same uh, WrestleMania card. But having it as a fatal four-way actually does sound interesting. And Pyro's is 100% right. A fatal four-way, much easier to hide the flaws and it's just a faster, more exciting pace than a triple threat. And we've hey, only Dave. had one triple Yeah, Yes, sir. Uh, my producer tells me that at WrestleMania 10, Bret Hart won two matches at WrestleMania. So go ahead. No, uh, incorrect. Bret Hart lost his first match, which was the opening match against Owen Hart, his brother, and then he won uh, WrestleMania. He won the main event there. Um, Owen did not. I mean, 
Brett did not win two matches that pay per view, sir. He actually lost one and then won the other one. Correction. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll one up both these, but I'll, you'll have to test my memory. One of the old WrestleManias, I want to say five or six or seven, one sure. of the ones where a man was in a 14 man tournament, he won three <laughs> times. Yeah, well, that's that, there you go. Now, now my whole point just got flushed out. Well, you know what? Then I may be correct because it, it, he still won. Will have won two matches to win the title, so he didn't win three. Macho Man is still one of the greatest of all time. But uh, Pyro, yeah, that, that that was pretty much a low blow there. So thank you very much. You're welcome. But uh, no, uh, um, I can't see Triple H going to the main event without. It. Well, let me rephrase that. I can't see Daniel Bryan not being involved in the main event. Because Orton is still a heel, Batista is now a heel, Triple H is clearly a heel. You can't have a heel versus heel versus heel main event. I mean, it just isn't going to work. And well, given how the face in the match would be the would be the referee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know, given how much the fans love Daniel Bryan, if he isn't involved in the main event, they're going to absolutely rebel. They're going to rebel so hard against the main event. But, I mean, it'll just be so horrible for WWE. Their ratings will fall. Everything will be bad. Um, you know, so Daniel Bryan will be involved somehow. But as far as whether he wins, I'm actually still up in the air with that. You're right that the fans have to go home happy, and I figure they're going to do that. But you could make the fans go home happy without Bryan winning the title, just as long as he's the last man standing. You can have Triple H win the title, but then – have some shenanigans and Daniel Bryan beats the crap out of everyone and stands tall and challenges for a one-on-one match the next night on Raw or something like that. But Occam's Razor says, I think Bryan wins both matches, or at least, you know, he gets involved in the main event, wins that match, he's got the title, and knowing WWE, he doesn't have to keep it for very long. Maybe he coughs it up in a month or two, but, um, you know, I I think he's going to walk away with the title, the fans will go ballistic, and everyone's going to have a fun ride after... uh, after the event. <laughs> that was an honor of Pyro, Pyro's little point there. I, I, you know, I can't believe that I completely forgot about WrestleMania 4, because that was also, in, you know, relatively speaking, in our backyard. Um, you know, the, the problem with the whole fans going home happy is that the fans really going to be happy if Daniel Bryan gets screwed as a title again at WrestleMania, if he's the last man standing viral, I just can't picture the fans are going to be too thrilled with that ending if, if he gets screwed for, like, the 500th time out of the WWE title. I agree. I totally agree. You know what's funny, too? We we mentioned this earlier, in the like, who who would be a good person to pass the torch on for Undertaker's undefeated streak? I mean, I thought three great people before we close out the show. I just want to get your quick thoughts on it. I mean, I'd be intrigued with these three guys wrestling Undertaker next year if Undertaker doesn't make it to next year. I, I would love to see me to take on John Cena because it's Superman versus the Undefeated Streak. Daniel Bryan, which would be interesting too if Daniel Bryan could actually beat Undertaker and then prove to everybody that he's a main eventer, not just a mid-carder, because everyone still sees him as a mid-carder. I think if he actually beat Undertaker next year at WrestleMania, that would go a long way for his career. Or somebody like Sheamus, who I think that has been at the top but now back to mid card. I think that's somebody that could uh, that Triple H is really high on, and I think he could carry the company for another ten to fifteen years. Um, I don't know about Sheamus. How old is Sheamus? I, I thought he was a little too old for to be in that long. Daniel Bryan's thirty-two, so he's 
ideal, but he probably won't last more than another decade. But Daniel Bryan's a good choice. I wouldn't mind seeing him snap the streak and the fans would get on board for it. I'm actually on Wikipedia now just to double-check. Uh, let's see. Sheamus is 36. Yeah, I, I, I think he's too old to really carry that kind of momentum for very long. And honestly, I, Sheamus bores me to death. He's not very explosive. He's kind of lumbering. So, I mean, I like, I like Sheamus. I think he's talented. But uh, I agree with you. I don't think he's got what it takes to, to carry the company. Uh, and 36 is definitely old. I mean, considering, uh, you know, I think Batista won his first title. He got his big push when he was, like, in his 40s. Um, yeah. You know, I guess any, anything is possible, but I don't think that, you know, I, I agree with Pyro. I don't think necessarily that that's, that's where they're going with this whole thing. Uh, sir, have we missed anything? Uh, w- I, I want to talk about the WWE Network, but have we missed anything as far as the uh, as far as uh, the, the pay-per-view? No, right? We, we covered all the matches? Well, there's a Divas Invitational uh, as well that we don't have to really talk about, but that's, that's pretty bad, too. Yeah, um, it's not even... Well, it is interesting that the Divas title has even been defended, so good for them. Uh, AJ will probably lose it because she's held it for so long, and it's a meaningless title, so they'll maybe like, give it to somebody else. But one thing I'd like to touch on before we let Pyro go and then move on for like two seconds to, to, to real sports is, you know, with the WWE Network, I know Joe's been watching a lot of the old stuff, a lot of the old pay-per-views, but me personally, I've been watching NXT. And Pyro, I'm, first of all, do you have the WWE Network? Yeah, I just got it this week. Um, I plan on binge-watching a bunch of the older WrestleManias because I haven't seen anything before WrestleMania 9, and I sort of want to, you know, examine history. But anyway, um, I haven't checked out the other than WrestleMania. No, I was going to say, you probably missed some of the greatest WrestleManias of all time and some of the greatest moments, but you definitely should check out NXT because I tell you, top to bottom, it's the best product that WWE puts out period, end of sentence. The wrestling is amazing. I mean, I showed Joe this thick match between Cesaro and Sami Zayn, who's formerly El Generico in the Indies, and he was a pretty popular guy, a good wrestler, um, probably more of a cruiserweight than anything else. But, I mean, just some amazing matches. These guys are allowed to go 15, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, you know, good promos, good mic work. Adrian Neville, who's the current champion against Bo Dallas, whose you know, father was, uh, was, of course, in the WWE for many years. Um and just all these different talents, Paige, the, the Divas champion, and just, you know, tag team titles. I mean, just great matches. The women are allowed to go 10, 15 minutes, actual stick matches, great matches, just entertaining, you know, from top to bottom. Like I said, you see some older stars, like they had Too Cool on there, and they've had, you know, Dusty Rhodes and some other people. Just far and away, 100 times better than any NXT show is 100 times better than anything you see on Raw. And it's just a shame because like, they dumb it down. The product that should be pushed ends up getting dumbed down, uh, which is raw, you know, for fans who don't even care about it. It's This is a side note, but it's kind of like Major League Baseball starting their season in Australia, a country that could care less about baseball, but they're pandering to them. They're sending two, they sent two teams halfway across the world, you know, for games that nobody watched. And it's pointless to try to, you know, try to cater to a market of people that are never going to be into baseball like we are here in the States, plus no franchise is ever going to go out there. And I like them to the WWE where they're trying to cater to the fans who couldn't give a crap about wrestling anyway, you know, by bringing in the Maria Menounis and, you know, famous people like that, Schwarzenegger, et cetera, et cetera, people that no wrestling fan really cares about that don't sell tickets, but yet they want that mainstream exposure, which all it does is get them maybe two minutes on 
Hollywood, you know, whatever the hell it is, Access Hollywood. Um, but those fans aren't going to stick around and watch wrestling because it's terrible. So you know what? They should try to make it raw more like NXT. So I definitely suggest that both of you watch that. This is awesome, awesome programming. You know what's interesting is that you mentioned all that good stuff, but um, I, I have been watching the old stuff when I first got the network uh, two or three, about a month ago, and recently I've been watching the countdown, believe it or not. Um, you know, and one thing that I want to mention about that is that they have different countdowns. They have the, like the coolest catchphrases, the best entrances. So I just watched one recently, which was the the top ten uh, backstabs of all time. The this is where the WWE universe really loses it because. They voted, like, the, I'll give you the top three. Number three was, um, I believe it was Hulk Hogan turning heel at WCW and joined the NWO. That was number three. Number two was right. Bret Hart and the Shawn Michaels uh, whole screw job where uh, Bret got screwed out of the, the WWF title at Survivor Series 97. But the number one backstab of all time, which I totally disagree with, was Shawn Michaels with Marty Jannetty. I think that... When you look at in terms of backstabs of all time, Hulk Hogan turning heel in terms of storylines was probably the best storyline ever, most shocking. And the whole, in real life, the whole Bret Hart being screwed out of WWF title by Vince McMahon at Survivor Series was number two. I don't know how Sean and Marty Jannetty is the best backstab of all time. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That seems like a very strange choice, especially given how old it is, but uh, whatever. I was actually oh. thinking one uh, turning heel and super kicking Hulk Hogan's face off would have been ranked higher than Sean turning his back on Marty Jannetty. Yeah. Well, you see, you see, guys, this is where I've got to disagree with both of you. I actually think that if you were going, if you were judging biggest heel turns of all time, yes, then Hulk Hogan going bash to the beach, that is the biggest heel turn ever. But if you're going biggest backstabs, the reason that I agree with Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels is because that launched Shawn Michaels' career. Of course, Shawn Michaels is my favorite WWE superstar of all time. Um, it launched his career, made him who he is. He set him on this amazing path. If he doesn't do that, he's probably, you know, bumming gas somewhere in Idaho right now, you know, just hitchhiking and just being homeless and, and a bum living in the woods. But the truth is that that is a great backstab. That is the definition of a backstab. Guys who are best friends for years, in real life, and, of course, um, you know, on the road all those years as midnight rockers, and they come to the WWE, et cetera, et cetera. That launched the career of the greatest superstar of all time, arguably. So, yes, I agree with that. And you guys can both, uh, in, in the words of, uh, let me put it this way, I got two words for both of you, quote DX. Okay, thank you. So um, once once WrestleMania is over, though, honestly, I think what we should do is now that all three of us have the network, we should actually pick a pay-per-view, an old-school pay-per-view, and break it down and talk about that or talk about a countdown like I just brought up with the backstab, the coolest catchphrases, whatever it is, and just talk about that because, honestly, after WrestleMania, storylines get you know refreshed or whatever, but honestly, like it's the same old, same old at this point. We need to go and dive into the WWE Network, just like you said, Dave, talk about NXT, talk about Top 10, talk about some old-school pay-per-views. That way we have something at least that we can enjoy talking about as opposed to the current product. Well, I agree with that. Sorry, Tom Pyro, I'll give you a second. I just want to throw us in there before Pyro goes. I agree with that. We probably should watch NXT and then talk about that or watch the pay-per-view and talk about that. But the reason I... Semi disagrees because I do think that Sting will be appearing on the night after WrestleMania. So I think there will be something to talk about once WrestleMania is over, sir. And uh, I don't know what that's going to lead up to, but um, I, you know I think there'll be something big that happens the night after uh, WrestleMania, sir. 
Yeah, I'm I'm down for watching a pay-per-view or something. Um, I one of my uh, dirty little secrets is back during the Attitude Era. Well, even to this day, I have never seen a WCW pay-per-view, and I never watched a full episode of Nitro or Thunder. I was a total um, brand whore, as I say. You know, I was all about WWE. But anyway, um, so it'd be kind of cool to relive some of the history. And I, I know you got depressed for time, but real quick, I wanted to say. Uh, while I was um, looking at a few things on the network, just hopping around, um, I watched the entrance of WrestleMania, I want to say it's 17, the last one between The Rock and Steve Austin. And 19. during The Rock, I'm sorry, 19? Um, so during The Rock's and Austin's entrance, you can see that the 20, 30, 40, however many thousand people were like on their feet, they were screaming, they were raucous, they were into it, there was a ton of energy in the building. And I find it interesting that nowadays all the pay-per-views that I've seen from WWE, all the events, even WrestleMania, even the so-called biggest matches, the fans are just not into it like that anymore. And it makes me kind of sad, and it makes me wonder, you know, how far WWE has fallen. And uh, because there are times when we talk about the Attitude Era, and I sometimes think that we're thinking about it and looking at it through rose-colored glasses and that we're overhyping it and we're just remembering nostalgia rather than how good it actually was. But then I look at back then and I see all that energy that's in the building and the electricity, and I'm like, you know, it, it really was different. The modern era is just crap. So I would like to uh, – I wouldn't mind discussing some of the classics with you guys because, you know, maybe reliving some of those better days will remind me how good wrestling could be. Of course, it might make me just hate the current product more, but whatever. Interesting. <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I agree. Uh, you know, Pyro's definitely right about that. And, you know, it, it's, I think I said this before when we covered the network. I think one of the negatives of the network is that you get to show you how bad the current product is because of how good the, the former product was, uh, Joe. Yeah, I agree. So we have, we'll have more things to talk about, to know about Sting. And, um, you know, at this point, I think he's five years too late coming to WWE at this point. I mean, let's just set up an Undertaker-Sting match next year and let them both, uh, you know, kick the bucket at WrestleMania 31. <laughs> oh, boy. Positive energy from Joe, as always. Listen, Pyro, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm sure we're going to have you on, uh, if not the week of WrestleMania, and, you know, the, that Tuesday right after. So we can talk about, you know, how disappointed and depressed we are uh, after watching a terrible WrestleMania. But, um, you know, thank you so much, Barry. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, remember to go to onlineonslot.com. That's where I write. And uh, one, uh, the week before WrestleMania, I'll have my giant WrestleMania preview column that also has my official predictions, which I'm about 70% accuracy on. So check that out for sure. All right, sir. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, sir. What are we doing? Uh, the end of the end of an era, as it were. Our last few minutes. What are we talking? Well, I just wanted to talk about how the Jets uh, once again have missed the boat uh, in terms of just bringing in a backup quarterback in a Mike Vick, another person. I don't want to compare him to a a Tim Tebow in terms of you know personalities, but another hot topic, another t- person that will just create a lot, stir a lot of buzz, back back pages, if you will. The Jets just don't get it. I think bringing Mike Vick in is was just told, totally the wrong move. We knew that Mark Sanchez's days were numbered, and at this point... Mark Sanchez needs somebody to throw to! 
And now he will have somebody to throw to as he joins another team. The Mark Sanchez era is now over. And all I have to say is... Stop smoking the Woody Johnson quick pipe! And, you know, other than that, sir, I, I don't agree having Mike Vick here on the New York Jets. Um, totally the wrong move, if you ask me. I completely agree with you. What the, what the hell are they just thinking, honestly? I mean, they had some people here that flop. I mean, are they just attention whores who just want people to talk about them, even if it's negative attention? I honestly don't understand this. That's that's basically the bottom line. I think the Jets will never be a team that wants to win the Super Bowl, but they want to catch the back headline stories and just make make buzz and and sell seats. Uh, you know, at this point, it is what it is. And uh, Woody Johnson is just not the type of owner I thought I expected. He has the money. He just is not a Steinbrenner type mentality where he just wants to win at all costs. I think this guy would just want to catch and grab the the back headline stories and uh, make news that way. And that's a problem because that's not what you want in your ownership. You want guys like, uh, you know, Steve Tish and John Mara who never hear about them. They're just pretty much doing the, their, what they need to do, you know, leaving things in the hands of Jerry Reese. But you have, the, you know, the people here uh, with Woody Johnson, Rex Ryan, and all these other guys. It just seems like, like they just don't want to win. Sorry, I, I honestly don't understand. I mean, it must make it depressing. Yeah. That's the, well, just as depressed as that opening opening day is, um, you know, opening day for the Mets is this Monday comes the 31st, and there's the first pitch, and the season is over. So, you know, the, the Mets are just, uh, you know, to, to think that this team is ready to compete in the Major League Baseball um, is a complete joke, sir. I mean, Ike Davis, Lucas Duda, don't know who's playing first base. Shortstop is a disaster right now. The outfield is a mess other than Curtis Granderson. Who knows what we're going to get out of our catcher. The starting pitching is blah. I mean, they could be good in a couple of years. They could be decent this year. Their bullpen is a complete and utter travesty. So as we get closer and closer to the opening day of baseball, sir, and the fact that after WrestleMania, I hate talking about wrestling all year round, I just don't know what we're going to do with ourselves. All right. Well, I mean, I think the Mets will be better than you think you're giving credit for, but one thing I've got to say as far as the team goes is that only the Mets, and I tell you, only this Bush League organization would rip <laughs> a guy, would bash him, would talk about his lack of work ethic, talk about his lack of, basically his lack of talent, talk about he came in out of shade, talk, talk him into the ground, and then make him this running, starting shortstop. I, I literally can't believe that Ruben Tejada is starting shortstop for this team after the way the Mets badmouthed him, you know, put, put the bad mouth on him. Instead of bringing in either Drew or just giving Wilmer Flores a chance, why the hell? First of all, Tejada can't hit. Second of all, his defense has been bad. You know, if you can't hit, you can't play defense. What the hell are you doing in the most important defensive position on the, the team, probably that in center field? What's the point of having Ruben Tejada? Sir? Explain that to me. Why is this guy our starting shortstop? Um, you're right, especially when Steven Drew is still out there and you can get him probably on the cheap, and the, the Mets love getting people on the cheap. So um, you're right. I, I don't understand what they're thinking. Again, they have so many holes. It's it's crazy. I mean, for us to even consider that you know Daniel Murphy is a great uh, or is a decent second baseman, we don't talk about second base. You know why we don't talk about Daniel Murphy is because he's okay. He's average at best. But there's so many other holes on this team. Is that you have no time to pick up. You have no time to pick on their second base situation because their shortstop situation and their first base situation and their bullpen situation is far far worse than their second base situation. You know, you're actually, you're actually right about that. And, and you and I don't like Daniel Murphy, but a lot of Mets fans do. They tend to fall in love with lesser talent. It just baffles me again. They rip this guy, they bash him to the ground, and they make him the starting shortstop. I mean, I'm curious if anybody's going to sign Steven Drew because they're a couple of days away from opening day. 
he hasn't. I mean, I don't know what he's been doing. He hasn't been in a major league camp. So if he does, when is he going to get signed in the middle of the season? I, you know, supposedly Boris says that he has a three-year, thirty-nine million dollar offer on the table, which I don't believe. I know he turned on the offer sheet from the Red Sox, which would have paid him a lot more than he's probably going to get now. But I mean, this late into the into the spring training, you would think that he would be desperate to sign with anybody. And I'd still take him if the Mets could get him at a reasonable rate. But, um, you know, when you look at this team, sir, again, with the, with the fan base, with everything, with Harvey being out, you tell me, what fan is getting excited over Dylan G being made the opening day starter? Why the hell is Dylan G getting the opening day start when you have a guy like Zach Wheeler who's going to excite the fan base? And, yes, people are going to be excited because it's opening day. And the Mets will probably win because they usually do. But why not give Zach Wheeler a chance to be the opening day starter? Sir, sir, explain that to me. Absolutely correct on that, sir. Zach Wheeler is your number two behind um, behind Harvey, obviously, but he's hurt right now. So why not make Wheeler your ace of the staff? Let him carry the load this year. The Mets starting pitching, if anything, is their best point. Uh, their best. Um, the best aspect of the team this year, and they're going to have great pitching for the next couple of years. Hopefully, all this pitching blooms. But again, if you don't, if you don't have any offense in the minor leagues, then you got to go and spend some big money on some big hitters. And then again, you're not going to, you're not going to know who's available out there in a couple of years. You don't know who actually is somebody that's going to be a good fit for this team. But at this point, sir, I mean, other than the pitching, the the team in itself is a total and utter joke. And what's worse is that the season hasn't even started yet. And baseball season, if your team if your team sucks, like if you're a New York Mets fan, the season is just such a long season. 162 games. They're basically playing every single day of the year, every single day of the season, with a couple of days here here there off. But it's it's just awful when you know you're looking you're not looking forward to a season, and then you know that there's six months of baseball ahead of you. You know, it's interesting is I'm watching the game that they were in the Mets are talking to the announcers talking about how Vic Black is pretty much a certainty to make the team. And the guy's had a horrible spring. He looked terrible yesterday. He, he I think he faced four batters. didn't get a single one of them out. But yet they're talking about how he's, how he's a lock to make the team. And he, he had a horrific spring. And the guy has no real resume to speak of. Bobby Parnell is their closer. Parnell, I don't love him. I think he'd be a better center man than a closer. You know, they said he, he did not show any real velocity this spring. Mets think he can be an elite closer, which probably means he'll be the worst closer on the planet. They have Jose Valverde, who's an also ran from other teams like the Tigers, et cetera, who was formerly a closer. He's probably going to be the sad man, or he's going to be in there in case Parnell goes down. I mean, there's so many different question marks. you got Dice K, who's named the fifth starter of this team, instead of Henry Mejia, who pitched better than Dice K. Um, so Mejia's going to be a starter. They're going to dump him in the minors now, because he has no place on the team. And, of course, I'm looking at Yahoo article here. Wilmer Flores didn't make the team, but he opened his eye, opened the eyes of many people with his work at short. You know, he converted to being a shortstop, yet he doesn't make the team. Over Tejano, who opened people's eyes on just how bad he is, hitting terribly, fielding terribly. I think there was one point he had more hit, more errors than hits. So only the Mets are only the Mets. <laughs> and what's sad is that again, somebody even you when you look at Ike Davis, where the where any other baseball team pretty much would have a short leash on him. The Mets can't afford to have a short leash on him because they, their first base situation is 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 non-existent. So you have to give Ike Davis a longer leash than than any other team would. And honestly, sir, I am done with Ike Davis. If he if he comes out of the the, the month of uh, April and May batting like under 200 or about the the Mendoza line right around 200, sir, I'd cut him. I'd release him. I'd say get out of my team. Uh, even though the Mets are so bad, 
I am done with Ike Davis at this point. Yeah, um, again, I'm just convinced Ike's going to leave here and hit 40 home runs in the first half of the season somewhere else. So I'm not ready to give up on Ike just yet, but I can totally see that there. Um, I guess Curtis Granderson and Bartolo Colon are the bright spots on this team. David Wright had a bad season last year. Um, he was the good year before, not so great the year before, so injuries have kind of gotten to him. Um, he's not the superstar that people think he is. He can't carry this team. So in that sense, the Mets are in trouble. But, um, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there. We will, and um, that's all I have on my rundown, sir. It's been a great long show once again, back-to-back, 90, 90 minutes of pure gold. Uh, can't go wrong, especially with Morgan Willard joining us and saving our show, saving our lives, saving the entire universe. Yeah, <laughs> what a fool. I agree with that. Uh looks like Travis Darno hitting pretty well. He hit his second home run in the spring. I'm going to watch that in a minute. Let's see what that's all about. <laughs> yeah, folks, that's what you're right. Sir, thank you so much as always. I'm here. I'm here. For like the 1,000th time. Morgan, like Joe said, uh, Miss Oklahoma, USA 2010. And, of course, the current DJ and, of course, the pastor and evangelist and uh, I think a bishop also just uh, did a great job of, uh, of uh, giving us the good word today. Make sure you tune in next week. We'll probably be on Tuesday again. Actually, no, we won't be on Tuesday again because we have a, a guest scheduled, um, Lauren Crocker, who's another radio DJ. She's been on our show once before. We're going to have her on next week. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens next week as we gear up for WrestleMania. Folks, have a wonderful evening. Check out our website, PureGoldBZJocks.com. Have a lovely evening, and as always... What's the name of your show? Uh, pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. You guys are awesome. Yes, we are. Good night, everybody. <laughs>